You are listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Yeah, it's good. I'm really happy in this team. Um, we're only pro Conti, but I think we're up there with the best of the best in terms of the World Tour teams, and we showed that yesterday in the first sprint stage with the victory and yeah we've won a stage in every Grand Tour despite it being the first time the team's been uh, in Grand Tours this season so yeah it's, it's going really well and I think the the team's really bonded well and um, work well as a unit so it's a, a great place to be and um, yeah we're really excited for, for the rest of the tour. That was Scott Thwaites of Alperson Fenix, who I spoke to in the first week of the Vuelta, having last spoken to him 18 months ago, on the evening of Het Newsblad in late February 2020, shortly before everything ground to a halt. We'll hear more from Scott at the Vuelta later, where, as we're well used to now, his team is punching above its weight with two stage wins at the time of speaking. But first, let's scroll back 18 months to the Van der Valk Hotel in Flanders on a windswept cold and dark evening. Thwaites had just finished 24th at Hent Newsblad, and a glance at the names around him underlines his quality. Sepp van Mark, Henrik Hausler and Michael Valgren were just ahead of him, Anthony Turgis and Nathan van Hooydonk just behind. It was a very decent performance for his new team, a team built around Matthew van der Poel, but a team that also represented a life raft for Thwaites, or a way back into the biggest races. His return had seemed very unlikely. Two years earlier, almost to the day, he suffered a dreadful crash in which he fractured his spine. At the time, he was a World Tour rider in his second year with Dimension Data. The previous year, he'd ridden the Tour de France. But this was contract year, and it was a season in which a lot of riders would be looking for jobs. Thwaites was 28 and making plans for life beyond cycling. Then, after complicated surgery, he decided to give it one last go. The year after his crash, he rode for Vitus, a British continental team with a diet mainly of town centre criteriums. In the circumstances, he was grateful to be racing at all. And from the outside, few, perhaps even Thwaites himself, imagined that one day he'd be back at a Grand Tour. I was just riding back home because I had um, a damaged wheel, which wasn't really anything to do with the crash. It was just, I was just trying to get home to, to swap wheels so I could carry on with my training. And uh, I was just round, rounded a corner that not too far from my home that I do every day. There was just a, a lorry parked uh, on the side of the road and uh, I just wasn't, wasn't paying enough attention really and uh, rode into the back of it. So it was um, just one of those freak accidents sort of things where uh, you take your eye off the ball and um, yeah, I wasn't so lucky that time. I didn't manage to react and yeah, it caused a lot of damage. Were you going fast at the time or, or was it quite slow? Uh, it was quite slow, but um, from what I heard from the people that were there, it, it, I just didn't uh, see it at all and um, I think it was my head that took took the full brunt of the, the impact and that sort of caused a compression down my spine, so I broke a lot of bones in uh, a lot of vertebrae and ribs and sternum and things like that so it was a, a big uh, impact. Were you unconscious at all or, or were you kind of fully aware at the time of you know how how serious it was was it obvious to you? Um, I think I think I was unconscious for, for a period and then when I came around there was uh, people around me uh, that, that witnessed it so they just uh, were really helpful told me to um, stay still and everything and um, immediately afterwards I didn't really think think much of it um, until I was sort of in the ambulance and then uh, the pain started setting and everything um, I was just grateful at the time really because you know I could move everything so I knew at least it wasn't too serious in that respect but um, I could tell from the pain that there was quite a lot of 
a lot of damage and it was just a case of seeing what the x-rays and scans um, brought up and obviously it was uh, yeah quite a lot of broken bones and things um, and then yeah I guess I was given two options really I could have um, stayed sort of immobile with um, a brace for around three months to see if the, the fractures healed naturally or to have the operation to fuse the spine with some metalwork and in the end at, at that point I was just thankful that I was still able to sort of move and be, be a normal person so um, cycling was sort of put put to the back of my mind and I just went for the the operation so that I'd be back on my feet within a week and then I could sort of return to normal life and uh, yeah that that moment the cycling I was just going to see how it went and see if I could get back on the bike and whether I could get back to this level but um, that wasn't my primary concern at the time. Was that a big decision I mean were there risks with with having the operation? Um, yeah like with all operations there's the risks but I think uh, luckily it was near Leeds in my home and, and Leeds has a really good uh, spinal um, surgery centre there so I was really lucky that um, I was in good hands and I had confidence in the in the surgeons that they could do they could do a good job, and I'd, uh, like I said, I didn't really have a, a, a big choice. I could have uh, gone down the other route and waited three months, but they also said uh, if I did that, it wasn't um, sure that all the fractures would heal anyway, and it might be in three months' time I might end up having to have the operation anyway. So, yeah, it was, there was very limited options really. So I just had to put my faith that it'd um, all work out. So how long were you off the bike in the end? Um, I probably had about four to five weeks completely off because I also had a neck brace on to heal the fractures in, in, in my neck. And then I started just riding 30 minutes to an hour on the on a watt bike at home um, that I'd adapted to a position where I could keep my spine straight so it could um, allow for the healing to, to work properly. Um, so I did that for about a month or so and just slowly was able to get a bit more flexibility with a lot of physio and everything and get back into the almost a race riding position um, so then I was able to swap back onto my, my team training bike at the time on the trainer um, so then probably after about two months or so after the accident I was able to go back out on the road and start training properly and then um, it was probably yeah three months after the accident when I uh, started competing again. I remember towards the end of that year you were talking about maybe retiring and, and, and you know getting a job not as a rider I think still maybe in, in cycling but how serious uh, consideration what was that at the time and was that because of the crash? I think it was a little bit yeah I've obviously had crashes in the past but never something of this scale and um, it sort of put everything in perspective that there's more to, to life than cycling and seeing sort of what my family and my wife went through at the time uh, how upset they were it made me sort of think whether, whether it was worth putting myself back into that situation again where it could happen so I did consider it quite a lot and uh, I looked back and thought I've ridden the tour I've ridden the classics so I've achieved a lot in my career I might not have won won a lot as a rider but um, I'm proud of what I've done up until that point so yeah it it wouldn't have been too bad to walk away at that that stage but then uh, part of me was always thinking that I'd like to prove everyone wrong the the sort of people that said oh that'll be it for him now you know they broke me off and then you know so I thought I've got nothing to lose really if I give it one more one more try and see where I can go with it uh, see if I can get back up to the level I was at if it doesn't work out then I can always step away in in a year or so so yeah that sort of was where I thought I'll give it give it everything and and prove everyone wrong and and see what I can do well you were out of contract obviously with Dimension Data but did you 
look at other World Tour teams or Pro Conti teams because you took a step down, I suppose, to race domestically for the year. You know, again, how difficult was that? Uh, was it disappointing, first of all, not to get on another World Tour team? And how difficult was it to take a sort of step down? Yeah, it was definitely difficult. I think up until that year, I'd been progressing nicely and I'd had some some reasonable results and started to get um, sort of a, a reasonable reputation of being a, a decent classics helper or a guy that can maybe go for a result uh, on a good day. Um, but I think it was just a combination of the the scene at the time. A few teams were folding or merging and it was a really tough market. There was a lot of good riders out of contract and with um, the emphasis on points and everything, having had three months out of the bike, I had very little to offer in that respect. And also with Dimension Day, they were going through a big um, sort of change in in the roster there. So um, I guess it was just a bad luck that, it, that the accident happened in that year. So yeah, it was it was difficult, and um, I sort of felt like what I'd done in the past, I sort of deserved a chance to stay up there. But you know, the, there was a lot of talented people on the market, and probably given the accident and the seriousness of the injuries, people were probably a bit um, reluctant to just take a punt at me when there was some good young guys coming through the, the under-23 scene that were fit and healthy and, um, yeah, raring to, to prove themselves. So I can understand why a lot of team managers didn't um, didn't give me that opportunity at the time. But he, here you are, I mean, it's not quite a World Tour team, but it look, if you look at the roster, it looks pretty close to, to a World Tour team. You know, did you think that racing domestic last year would put you in the shop window for a, a team like this, or or how did you go about, you know, trying to to get back into races like this one? Uh, that was the aim, really. Uh, if I was going to carry on cycling, I made that decision that I wanted to carry on cycling. Then I wanted to do it back at the top level, really. Um, and that was the aim to get back to where I was uh, so yeah I just got my head down and it was difficult stepping down it was a big change again getting used to different styles of racing getting used to racing on a lower lower level but uh, I just had the sort of long goal in mind that um, I just had to keep chipping away keep showing myself in the races where it mattered things like Tour of Yorkshire which I think it's probably on the limit of my capabilities in terms of um, the amount of climbing and how hard it is usually um, but I set myself up for that one and, and gave it my best shot and managed to get a reasonable result there, which I think that was probably one of the places where people thought, yeah, if he can if he can ride at that level in such a hard race, then uh, he's probably got the capabilities of returning to his his former former level. So um, yeah, that's all. I just had the long long goal in mind, really. Yeah, it's interesting how that that race, I guess, Tour of Britain as well. That they're such great opportunities, aren't they? For domestic riders James Shaw is another one who really used that race last year to get back to to, to a higher level um, so it's a kind of priceless opportunity I suppose for, for British riders um, but how did the, the move to this team come about when did you hear about what was happening with this team and the, the expansion uh, well, I sort of was watching the team th- throughout the year and I thought it was it was a really nice team and they seemed to be well organised and sort of having being pro Contin on that small scale it sort of appealed to me quite a lot because I've obviously experienced a few years at pro Conti with NetApp and Bora and then uh, up into the World Tour and I thought going back up uh, I didn't want to just jump straight for the, for the top it would be nice just to take those steps to get back up and probably yeah, find my feet again and get the opportunity to race some of the big World Tour races, but then also some smaller ones where I could maybe go for some more results and build the confidence back up after the uh, the, the difficult year that I'd had. 
Um, so yeah, I was watching them, and then I, I sent an email to to the Rudolph brothers, and just just laid it all out. Really, I just said, "This is who I am. This is what's happened." Um, the main thing is that I'm super motivated, and I, I want to prove to everyone that I, I can be back where I was in the front of the classics and, and other races. So yeah, I'd like the opportunity to show that, and um, you know, with. Matthew and Tim, they've got some really top top leaders in the team and you know, my experience in the classics from helping Edvald and things like that at Dimension Data I think would be invaluable to the team to, to support those guys for, for some good results and you know, they took a look at my training, they took a look at my, my Palmares and I think um, I have to give them a lot of respect because they it's easy just to look at what people have done in the past year and, and judge them on that but I think they looked at my whole career um, and they said that they'd also followed me in the past as well and yeah it was nice that they saw that, that you know I wasn't just, just the guy that, that the results showed the year before and that I had that potential and that I'd been at that level before and yeah so it all sort of uh, I think we both sort of had the same ideas and, and belief in each other and it sort of seemed like a good fit doing it in a personal way like when I emailed them and spoke to them and kept kept in touch with them I think they appreciated that and they gave them the opportunity to sort of really read into my story and what happened because it isn't just like a usual guy that's just been going through year after year trying to pick up results so um, yeah I think it, it probably was a better option for me to do it that way to yeah sort of put put the full picture out there to the team. I mean, have you got to know Matthew a bit over the winter, um, training camps and so on? Have you got to know him as a person? Yeah, yeah, we've had a couple of training camps with him. Um, I've not yet raced with him. We've only done a couple of races, um, but he seems like a, a really good guy. And I think he's got his uh, feet on the ground. He's, t- he's taking in the progression nice and slowly, following the team's sort of lead to, to slowly build up his, his sort of targets for the, for the future. And I think that's a, a smart move. I think he'll... Um, pay dividends in the future for him he'll probably have a long and successful career and uh, yeah just to be with someone that you can see has a clearly a lot of talent but also enjoys his riding and yeah it's nice and refreshing that he, he generates an atmosphere of calmness in the team because he's not too stressed he takes everything really easy he has a lot of fun with the guys um, on the training camps and everything like that so uh, yeah it makes you all relax a little bit more so then you know that if you just put in the hard work and do your job everything will be good talent only gets you so far you still have to put the work in behind the scenes but yeah he's definitely a fun character and I think that that also helps him when things don't quite go right it's nice to if you have that sort of personality you always bounce back really quickly and we saw that this year obviously he had one race where he didn't win which was a shock for everyone but then he bounced back straight away and got back on the winning streak and that's just the sort of guy that he is he's uh, he always works hard behind the scenes and yeah, I think he works well with the team. The team have a really good coaching coaching setup, and um, yeah, everything seems to seems to work well for him. And yeah, I'm sure that he's. Uh, yeah, it remains to be seen whether he is going to be the the greatest ever. But um, yeah, he's certainly making some some moves at the moment, and um, I'm excited to be part of that. You are listening to Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. My name is Justin McQuarrie. I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm 25 years old. I've had type 1 diabetes since I was 2 years old. Um, so I, I don't really know life without diabetes. Once I knew how to manage it, and like it's definitely a trial and error, a lot of trial and error of figuring out what works and what doesn't with sport. Um, but 
I never saw it be a hindrance for me. The only the only thing that was holding me back was how fast I could spin my legs and how fast I could push on the pedals. Um, but that that also comes directly in with making sure you're on top of managing uh, diabetes as well. If you fail at one, you're probably not going to do so well on the other. So you got to make sure you're on top of your game there. Yeah, I was on the development team for four years and then started racing for some uh, U.S. teams. I was kind of in a, a middle ground where I wasn't ready to make the jump up to the pro team and uh, had other ambitions. I have been racing for pro teams in the U.S. for the last three years now, um, and we still have been doing a lot of the big U.S. races and some of the other other UCI events in North America, and we actually did a little stint in Italy a few years ago. But unfortunately, there's just not that much racing in the U.S. Um, just as a as a whole right now, um, and uh, both the team of team Nova Nordisk development and professional team have a very Europe heavy. Uh, calendar where, where there's a lot of racing, a lot of high-quality high racing. As you will doubtless have realised by now, Scott Thwaites is as modest and understated as they come. It was only on reading a bit more about his crash that I realised the extent of his injuries. You certainly wouldn't know from the way he describes it. As well as the broken spine, he also broke bones in his neck and suffered fractured ribs and a fractured sternum. Last season was an interrupted and improvised one for everybody, of course, but Thwaites managed 30 days racing for his new team, including Milan-San Remo, Flesh Wallone and Liège-Bastogne-Liège. This year he has done Paris-Nice, Gent-Wevelgem and now, of course, the Vuelta, his second time riding the Spanish Tour and the third Grand Tour of his career. He's 31 and out of contract at the end of the year. He says he has something fixed up for 2022, but is not quite ready to publicly reveal his plans. In the meantime, he is relishing the experience of being back on cycling's biggest stage and riding for a team that, with or without its star rider Matthew van der Poel, has been one of the major success stories of 2021. What about you? Any personal ambitions here? What would you like to get out of the race? I can't say I've come here necessarily with any personal ambitions. It's just nice to be back in the Grand Tours. I think it's four years since I last rode the Grand Tour. Um, so it's nice to be back uh, in these events. And um, we've got a good good team here with sprinters and a couple of guys that can challenge on some of the climbs, hopefully. So my role as I'm getting a bit older now is more of it like uh, yeah, to help, help the guys out with positioning, use a bit of experience and just general helping all around but then I guess with all Grand Tours it's, it's long, it's three weeks there's opportunities from breakaways and things so we'll, we'll take it day by day and then maybe in the second and third week there might be a chance for me to um, get up the road and try my hand and yeah, if I, if I get the opportunity I'll try my best to, to get a result out of it Well I mean we were talking last night about this team and how, how it's been put together um, a lot of people at the start of the year or the last year would have said it was uh, you know all about Van der Poel and the team has proven that's very much not the case you've been on other teams as well what's special about this team what have they managed to to do here in terms of putting the team together and making sure the right guys are there to support some pretty fast sprinters I think you've got to give a lot of credit to the management really they've um, selected riders really well and they've, they've not just gone for uh, guys that have got results they've also looked at what um, qualities they've got as riders um, especially in the support roles obviously with the likes of Jasper Tim Malia Van der Poel you've got winners so we don't really need any more of those it's um, 
it's the guys that are willing to come into the team and, and sacrifice everything for, for these leaders. Um, and if, if you, the guys are prepared to do that and not hold anything back for their own personal ambitions, then they're obviously guys that are really good fit for this team because, yeah, these guys can, can win races, but they do need the full support of the team. And I think that we showed that yesterday with the, the whole team committing 100% to the plan. And uh, it's not often when you make a plan that it goes perfectly, but yesterday uh, that was definitely uh, the case for us. Everyone did the job perfectly and the results spoke for itself. What was your specific job yesterday? I'm probably not, not as fast as I used to be, so I, I'm not quite as late in the lead outs um, as I once was a few years ago. So my job was more from, say, 30k to go, 20k to go, you know, when all the teams start lining up at the front and pulling and... The GC teams are obviously there trying to support, uh, keep their leaders out of trouble. That's my job there to, um, yeah, to get the team in the front. But uh, obviously, it's a long way to go from 30k, so you need to be smart with how you ride, not just bang, bang into the wind for as long as you can, because you end up burning a lot of guys early. So it was my job to hold the team near the front, but not on the front for as long as possible. So yeah, I kept them in, up there from 30k till uh, 5k to go, and that then released the other guys, and we still had five or six guys then inside the last 5k which is uh, good numbers really and I think it, it showed after the small climb over the bridge um, that, that we were one of the, the teams who had the most guys left um, in the final so we were able to deliver Jasper really well. I mean when I spoke to you just over well, a year and a half ago you know it had been a big decision to whether to come back or not whether to try again are you are you glad that you did I mean the, the two seasons have been massively interrupted by Covid but here you are back in a grand tour does this kind of experience make make all the sacrifice and the, the that difficult decision? Does it make it worth it? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was a difficult decision, and I, I think the crash weighed heavily on me, and I did, uh, it didn't make me question whether I'd be willing to put myself through it all again and take the risks that, that you have to take as a professional cyclist. But I'm really glad I did, did continue, and I think the the main thing was that I just found a setup and a team that I could really bond with and, and feel happy in, and that's what's what's happened here. I'll in Phoenix, so yeah, I'm super, super happy for it. Really excited to be back in the in the Grand Tours, and um, I've settled nicely into this team in my role as not really the guy that's going to get the results, but a guy that can share his experience and um, yeah, really help these these young talents uh, get the best out of themselves. You've been listening to an episode of Kilometer Zero by the Cycling Podcast. It was produced by Will Jones. 